Thank you for your presence today. Soul searching can be an unenviable task, particularly if we are unwilling to stand before God and see ourselves as He sees us. Are we truly living for Christ? Are we bearing witness of true salvation? Or are we just going through the motions without fruit that bears true conversion? Are we dealing with our spiritual deficiencies? Are we confessing and repenting of our sins and depending on God to strengthen us? Listen with Bible pen and paper handy as Pastor Rander imparts wisdom to us today. Song of Solomon says, chapter 1, verse 2, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is sweeter than wine. Ought to be some kisses going on in the marriage. That's right. Say amen. amen. You're getting quiet out there. I need to. Some of y'all. It's amazing how when y'all date and y'all are so lovey dovey, you're in the car. The poor man. Y'all can't drive. Stay with you all under each other. You all in each other's way, and you all just, just all, oh, just. You, And when you get married, you get your console right in the middle. <laughs> you stay on your side, she stay on her side. Huh? Now, now, now listen, it, it ought to be hands off and not so much of that before you get married because it leads to sex outside of wedlock. You would say, Satan is a booger man. I tell you, he's a devil. What he wants to do, here's, here's his strategy. Listen, thank you, Holy Ghost. He wants to trip you up and get you to have premarital sex before you say, I do. That's right. You ought to wait. Premarital sex is sin. Repeat after me. Premarital sex, premarital sex. is sin. sin. That's right. Now, you haven't said that in a long time. <laughs> and so before you get married, Satan will do everything within his power to get you to have premarital sex, put your hands where they ought not be. That's right, doing things, and you can't wait, and you're messing up all over the place. But then after you get married, he changes his strategy. And all of a sudden, there are issues. Nobody want to touch, feel. You know, when it's okay, now you're abstaining. Listen, that gift of celibate stuff is too late. You want to have sex before the marriage, but won't, don't want to have sex in the marriage. What is wrong with you? <laughs> Next question of evaluation. This is evaluation on the spiritual condition of your family. Do you spend quality time with each other? First Peter 4, 8a says, and above all things, have fervent love to one another. Have fervent love. Your love ought to be hot toward one another. Sizzling not cold, hot. That's right. It ought to be heated up. There ought to be some romantic qualities about your marriage. A sure sign of marital erosion is when you can, when you can enjoy being at work or with other people more than being with your spouse. The gift of time is a most precious gift you can give your spouse and children. The gift of time is the most uh, precious gift that you can give your spouse and children. And you know, you ought to not be talking better to other folk in the church 
and friends, and then you hang up the phone, and all of a sudden, what you want? I mean, that's hypocrisy when you can talk to other folk better than you talk to your own spouse. There ought to be a fervent love. Do you spend quality time with each other, or do you make any excuse to keep from being with each other? Here's another um, question of evaluation. Do you give gifts of love and appreciation to one another, or do you often take each other for granted? Do you give gifts of love and appreciation to one another, or do you often take each other for granted? Acts chapter 20, verse 35b says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When do you give to your husband? When do you give to your wife? Where is the note of the word of encouragement? Even verbally speaking, for the little things, where are the flowers? Where, where, uh, gifts ought not just come when it's Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or some day like that. Spouses ought to encourage and bless one another even when one is not looking for anything. Another question of evaluation. Do you faithfully serve each other without a hidden agenda? Or do you sit around acting like a little king or queen on the throne to be waited on hand and foot? Do you faithfully serve each other without a hidden agenda? Or do you sit around acting like a little king or queen on the throne to be waited on hand and foot? Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And really in the first years of marriage, you got to really realize that it's not about you. You've been single all your life. So now you have someone else in your life and you have to consider the other person's interests. You see, servanthood cannot be done apart from humility. It helps us to keep humility. That is helps us to keep the interests of the others at the forefront Humility builds and strengthens the marriage, and it also keeps us from pride and self-centeredness. That's why servanthood is so good. Serving one another keeps us humble. As a matter of fact, Galatians chapter 5 verse 13b says, but through love serve one another. Through love. Because I love my wife, or because you love your husband, you serve them out of love. Out of love. Here's another question of evaluation. Are you high maintenance, demanding, bossy, and controlling? Or do you give your spouse freedom without pressure and sending them on a guilt trip? Are you high maintenance, demanding, bossy, and controlling? Or do you give your spouse freedom? Or do you give your spouse freedom without pressure and sending them on a guilt trip? You know, um, some spouses are just bossy unless it's done their way. It's not right. And there's always more than one way to do a thing. Let there be some freedom in the home and not legalism. Uh, You see, and then sometimes you release your husband or wife to do something. But your attitude of such is of such that they know you really don't want them to go. Uh, uh, Go on. 
I'll get me something to eat. I'll, uh, yeah, I got it. I'll, I'll just do it myself. But you know what? When they talking like that, man, you better go and do it. You, 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 when I say do it, I'm talking about you need to, if they're, if they're acting like they want you to stay home, you better stay home. That's right. Sometimes you need to read, sometimes their, their words and, the, and what they're really saying uh, are thinking is different. And you have to be aware of that. So listen for that attitude. Listen, listen for what's not being said. Look at that mood, that attitude. They may be giving you permission, but that might be, you might not be wise because of uh, how they're saying it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Another statement of evaluation, another question. Are you patient with your spouse or do you live on a short fuse? Having unresolved anger and you're ready to erupt at any moment. Are you patient with your spouse or do you live on a short fuse? You have unresolved anger and you're ready to erupt at any moment. Truth be told. Some marriages is literally filled with the spirit of anger. Anger is so thick in that home, you can cut it with a knife. Just mad over something that was said or done. And you, and that's why you act so ugly. It's because you really, you really have unresolved anger uh, that has not been addressed. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 12 says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. But the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Get rid of your anger with the help of the Lord as soon as you can. You'll destroy your wife, your husband, your children, your in-laws. You'll even destroy yourself. Anger brings about, uh, 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 if, it's undealt, if it's not dealt with, it brings about divorce and separation and all of these things. And some uh, marriages are in a perpetual state of anger. And it's deadly to marriage. First uh, Corinthians 13, 4a says, love suffers long and is kind, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. You ought not be thinking evil on your husband or on your wife. Getting each other back in a sneaky way. Scheming and strategizing against your spouse. You're, you're one flesh. One flesh. You're to love each other. You're not to be scheming on one another. Positioning yourself against each other. And constantly seeing how you can get the upper hand on each other. That is devilish. Another question of evaluation. Do you minister to your spouse through words of hope? Do you minister to your spouse through words of affirmation? Does your words uh, encourage your spouse? Do you give words of appreciation toward your spouse? When is the last time you earnestly praised your spouse from the heart and you meant it and they, your spouse, your, your spouse knew it? Or do you, instead of encouraging and praising your spouse and giving hope and affirmation, instead of doing this, your words put down, your words demean, you habitually criticize your spouse to the point that they feel like they can do nothing right. Does your words cut to the heart? 
Does your words bring hurt and pain? So many wives are in a state of depression because of how their husbands treat them. So many wives are sick physically because of how their husbands treat them. And so many husbands are depressed and sick because of how their wives treat them. It goes both ways. Is there alienation and separation in your marriage because of hurtful words? Every day is a hurtful word. You're bracing yourself because you don't know what's coming next. Psalms 19.14 says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Are the words of your mouth acceptable in the sight of God or does it grieve the heart of God? Your words must be acceptable in your sight, God's sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Uh, Romans 14, 19 says, therefore, let us pursue the things which makes for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Build up, edify, build up. Your words ought to be building up, encouraging, stimulating, helping your, your spouse dream, dream. Your words ought to be positive. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer one another. You know, marriages, the words in marriages are so hurtful because you don't, you, you, don't, you don't even know how to answer one another. I'm not doing that. Do it yourself. You make me sick. I'm sick and tired of hearing that. And it's just on and on and on. Some of you talk each other down. They come into church and say, good morning, brother Joe. <laughs> Only if you could talk that way to your own Joe at home or your own Shirley at home, who is your wife, by the way. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Listen to me closely. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we will one day answer to God for our spoken words and our unspoken thoughts. Now, there's some of you, you don't say what you think, but you're thinking some damnable things of your wife or your husband. You haven't said it, and he doesn't know you're saying it, but it's in your mind, and God's going to get you for belaboring satanic thoughts against your spouse. They don't know what you're thinking, but God sees those thoughts. God will hold you accountable for your spoken words and your unspoken words. It's in the scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words, you be you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Luke 12, three says, therefore, whatever, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in inner rooms will be proclaimed on housetops. And some of you, you haven't killed your spouse with a gun, but you've killed them with your words. You've destroyed every ounce of your spouse's motivation. Some of your spouse don't know what to do with themselves. They're on the edge. They're sick because of your words. You've crushed them. They feel less than. They 
don't know what to do. And they don't know what they're coming home to next. Because of your words. And God's and God is going to judge you for treating the, the gift of your spouse that he gave to you for treating him or her that way. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So how are you using your tongue in the marriage? Do you speak words of life and healing and hope? Or are you cussing and fussing and you're walking around saying the most hurtful things that your spouse cannot rid themselves of? They go to bed at night in utter depression. Allow me to close with this. Last question. Do you forgive family members when you've been hurt or offended by them? Do you forgive family members when you've been hurt or offended by them? Or do you harbor bitterness, grudges, and resentment? Now, there's no such thing as a marriage without hurt. No such thing. You, you're lying if you said there's never been hurt in my, in, in my marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage because we're two imperfect uh, people serving a perfect God. So there will be misunderstandings. There will be hurts. There'll be, there'll be words that was, that, that was said that you wish you can take back. If you desire to be forgiven, then you must be willing to forgive. Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you want to be forgiven, then you must be willing to forgive. Verse 15, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me share something that you really need to grab hold to. Inner healing cannot come apart from forgiveness. You have to forgive your spouse when they've hurt you. You need to talk about it. And then once you've resolved it, the person have, who have wronged you uh, have said, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. Let's move on. Then you, got to be, you have to be willing to move on. Satan wants you to hold on to it, not let it go, and keep beating that drum of what that person did, your husband or wife. An unforgiving spirit affects your heart. When you refuse to forgive, your blood pressure go up. Your nervous system breaks down. When you refuse to forgive, you have more headaches, loss of sleep. An unforgiving spirit keeps you in a state of restlessness. You actually imprison yourself in bitterness. An inability to forgive will hurt you far worse than the other person who is the object of your resentment and hatred. Did you get what I said? Did you get what I said? An inability to forgive will hurt you far worse than the other person who is the object of your resentment or hatred. The person you mad with and can't let go, actually, it stoops you lower. Genuine forgiveness Involves seeking forgiveness and accepting forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness involves what? Seeking forgiveness 
and what? Accepting forgiveness. God's forgiveness, there ought to be giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. The forgiveness of others and forgiving yourself when you sin against God or sin against your spouse or anybody else. When you said, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me, I was wrong, you tell that person that, then be willing to forgive yourself and not live in a perpetual state of guilt. Some of you may be saying, hmm, I'm in too much emotional pain to forgive the one who's betrayed me and the one who hurt me. Pastor Draper, you don't know what my husband did to me. Pastor Draper, you don't know what my wife did to me. I have too much emotional pain to forgive. I'm in too much hurt to forgive. I'm in, I'm in no shape to forgive right now. I can't forgive. However, you must realize that on the cross, the pain of our Lord was, excru- was excruciating. On the cross, the pain of our Lord was immense. On the cross, the pain of our Savior was incomprehensible. He was in pain, great pain, indescribable pain. And it, but yet his first words from the cross Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus forgave in the midst of pain and hurt and betrayal. He being the God of the universe and the Savior of all mankind, as he hung on the cross, being the object of hatred by those who put him there. And yet, out of immense sacrificial love, he was making salvation available for them and all humanity. The one who nailed him to the cross, he was dying for that person's very salvation. Those that mocked him and scorned him and crowned his head with crowny thorns, those that spat upon him, he did not spit back at them or revive them. He said, Father, forgive them. He did not call lightning bolts down to uh, to destroy them. He did not say, "Earth, earth, open up and swallow up all of those who are hurting me. He could have done that being very God. He was the God of all creation. He was in the beginning with God. But but instead of words of judgment, we have to realize that he came as a savior. When he comes the next time, he's coming as a judge. But as a savior, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So don't tell me you're in too much betrayal to forgive. Don't tell me you are in, you are too hurt to forgive. Don't tell me you don't know what he's done to me or she's done to me. Therefore, I can't forgive. What has happened to you? Is that greater than what happened to God? Huh? What happened to you pales in comparison to what our Lord suffered on that cross. And if he can do it, then you can do it if you look to Jesus and trust the Holy Spirit. 
In the flesh, you can't. But in the Holy Ghost, you can. Father, forgive them. And after he made those statements, those seven sayings from the cross, he said, Father, into thy hand I commend my spirit. He hung his head and the, the locks of his shoulder and he died. He was buried in Joseph's new tomb. But early Sunday morning. Don't y'all glad about Sunday morning? It may have been a dark Friday. But early Sunday morning, Jesus got up out the grave with all power in his hand. Let me tell you something, my friends. Forgiving those who have hurt you causes you to put your love for Christ on display. It puts your spiritual maturity on display. It puts your love for God on display. And you are most wise indeed if you can let go the wrongs of the past so that you can begin to live in the here and now. And all God's children said, As confessed believers in the only true and living God, we miss out on countless blessings due to our lack of faithfulness, obedience, and service. The Bible tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Everything we need is at our disposal. When will we trust God enough to believe and depend on His Word? If you enjoy this kind of biblical teaching by Pastor Rander, please visit us at Maranatha Bible Church, located at 7855 East Loop 1604 North in Converse, Texas, or call us at 210-821-5683.